0: Listening to I See What You're Saying, a podcast by Guide Dogs. This episode is presented by Jeff Brazier. Keep
1: going, yes, mate. Oh, Nathan, 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 just got away for I see exactly what you're trying to do. then? little burst of pace. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Nathan just met uh, well, just over four years ago now, wasn't it? Through, uh, through Guide Feels Dogs, longer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Through, the, through the My Guide program. Uh, originally, uh, I was I was roped in as his guide runner. The, the fact that it was it was sport that, that brought me and Nathan together is important uh, in, in our friendship.
2: Got it. Right, back to me then past to me. I'm Jeff Brazier and I'm joined by Nathan, Pete and Alex and Guide Dogs, Abby and River as well. This is a series called I See What You're Saying, which explores what the world looks like living with visual impairment. Today, we're going to focus on friendships. There's no better example, really, than what I've just heard there. Lads, what's it like being a, a partnership that tries new things such as the triathlons you was going to run the marathon but for injury that that didn't happen and the football obviously that you go into as well uh nathan what what's it like having pete to
0: uh to help you it's been a a crazy journey to be fair to start off um as a guide runner being partnered through the the my guide service um at that time i never would have thought you know we'd be four or so years down the line and we're still doing things together you know it was a uh, it started off as running and I never thought we'd become friends. And we've done all sorts of things since then. And uh, I originally became visually impaired when I was uh, six years old. Um, and that was through having arthritis in my knee. So the inflammation from the knee went to the back of my eyes. Uh, I was left with a condition called uveitis, uh, which left me with about 20% corrected vision. But then it was when I turned 18 slash 19, I had two bleeds at the back of the eye, which was very rare to get. And uh, I literally woke up on a Saturday morning I had detached retina and um, I was pointing to complete darkness. That was it.
2: Alex. Hello. Your impairments um, were, were there earlier on in your childhood, weren't
3: they? Uh, yeah, so I um, suffered something called retinoblastoma, which is just cancer in the eyes. Diagnosed at 14 months old. Um, so obviously, I don't remember those sort of times. Mm. Had one eye removed, right eye removed at that age, um, and then had radiotherapy, some laser treatment, and then managed to keep, I suppose, what I'd call Decent uh, level of sight in my left eye for well many years um, throughout sort of infant school, junior school, and then at the age of 10 years old, I uh, thought I had a re- I went for a checkup and I had a reoccurrence of cancer in the left eye again, which uh, to have it that late at 10 years old is extremely rare. Apparently, I managed to uh, I think I was attempting a backflip on a trampoline in Spain and uh, detached my retina chronically again. So I had to go in and have a procedure and that was when I noticed the massive change in my sight. And suddenly I just felt, you know, massively vision impaired, whatever that means, massively. But mm. uh woke up one day, um, similar to Nathan, had a detachment. It wasn't um the same as his as severe, where I woke up and it was complete darkness, but I had a had a shadow in the top right of my eye and I knew from previous experience that, you know, that was that was terrible and it was probably a detached retina. So in my head I was, you know, obviously upset but When I went back in, they sort of said, oh, because of all that treatment you've had, because there's very little blood flow to your eye now, uh, your remaining eye, that if we try to do anything, we'll um, damage everything and you'll have nothing left. Between then and about the April, May, uh, March, April, my sight just went day by day. I could literally watch it go and go and go to the point where I had sort of nothing left. But now I have sort of a, a bit of light perception at best, really. Yeah. When I got to sort of teenage years friends are going off and a lot of my friends went off to be tradesmen doing apprenticeships that sort of thing and you know i couldn't do that well
2: look you just reference your friends and, mm. and obviously this this is all about exploring friendships uh when you're visually impaired so recent research by guide dogs um has, has found that over a, over a quarter of those with sight loss feel left out of socializing with friends
0: um does that apply to you
2: and if so how does it feel
0: coming up soon there's one of my friends from football again one of the lads uh, he's getting married soon, and as stag too, he's doing goat carting, and uh, I would love to be a part of that. And uh, you know, if I wasn't blind, then a hundred percent I'd have been 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 invited. But uh, and I've still considered it anyway, to be fair. But I don't think it goes out very well. But uh, it's things like that, you know. It's something that. You know, you're going to miss out on, but um, you know, it's it's just something that can't be helped. So you mm-hmm. just got to accept it and get on with it.
3: You just stand a bar, wait for them to get back. Yeah,
0: and that's <laughs> probably what I'll be doing. So um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's just one of them things.
3: In terms of my sort of circle of friends, you know, I, I tend to get to get out of them as much as they do, if not more, in some circumstances. Um, for me personally, even now, no than I have sort of used to it, I get certain situations really busy. You know, pubs or bars or you know, a busy wedding, sometimes it's just a little, little bit overwhelming and it's hard to follow people moving around constantly. You know, as people are sort of walking past and moving out of their way, so the the crowd of friends around you sort of constantly slightly shifting. You know, it could be noisy and hard to hear. You can give it disorientating. So there is an element of, I feel like, missing out. And I think there's always an element of the experience is, is seeing something. And mm. I sometimes feel like I miss out on certain things mostly just because of that reason no one can do anything about that and I've, you know I have to accept that um you know I can't have a friend or or uh, or my my missus or whoever standing next to me constantly narrating what's going on around me because then they're not enjoying the experience mm.
2: so you accept naturally that that whilst in that environment and obviously it's great that a you're out socializing you're in that company that you want to be in but yeah. you accept that that a percentage of what you would take him um, if
3: you were cited is is lost? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I should sort of point out that I think it's a very small percentage. Um, Good. The, the flip side is there is situations, you know, fairly regularly where I'll be at sort of places with friends or old friends maybe or more associates and I won't even know they've been there until someone mentions it because they haven't thought to come and say they have to come to me they want to talk to me they're going to have to come to me because i can't see them and come over to them that can be quite frustrating um we underestimate how much when you're growing up especially through your sort of teens or late teens early 20s you almost sort of raise yourself through your friends because you're always out and about with them now sort of i'm older i look back and able to reflect on things i think i under sort of didn't appreciate how important my friendships were back then and the sort of things that my friends would do without me even realizing i used to be very very scared or nervous about meeting new people you know out and about in a pub or, or wherever and because I would hate this um like I love chatting to people I'm confident talking to people but I'd get this way to called a second look hmm. and uh how does ch- that work so people be chatting to me we we'll chatting away you know blah blah and then they would sort of give me that second glance and pull a face and they've all gone well oh, what's wrong with his eyes and you know in the background for years I think my friends were where appropriate if people sort of were a bit mm, you know, when I'm not there, they probably just just say something. Sometimes I knew, sometimes I didn't, and I think it done me a lot of face In a way, I kind of hated that more, hated that they had to do that, not that um, that they did it, but appreciate it massively as well because it just saved me a lot of like embarrassment and sort of anxiety around the whole subject. Going clubbing now, I'm older. I think I don't care about going clubbing. You know, I'm kind of past that. I've got nothing to prove. I felt back then. You look like you're 21 still. <sighs> cheers, Jeff, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I felt I had to be as normal as possible. And I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to go out and experience clubbing and go out drinking the mates as, as everyone does at that age, or most people do. Um, but being in the dark and things like strobe lights, where I'd had the lens removed years before darkness is something I really struggled with. And particularly with, you know, flashing lights and uh, all the rest of it. And um,
2: well, how would that impact on you?
3: There'd be situations in certain, you know, in clubs where we'd move from room to room or, you know, the lights might change. And for like a moment or a few seconds, I, pretty much couldn't see a thing. And my friends, you know, bear in mind they're having a good time, trying to enjoy themselves, but always have it in the back of their mind or, you know, just take a a quick little glance behind, check them all right. When I was 21, I was fortunate enough to go over to Las Vegas. My dad took me over there. A friend of mine came with me and one of his friends came. A bit of a lad's weekend. And uh, we went out on a club tour we paid for. It was called a VIP tour. And I don't know if you've been to Vegas, Jeff, but something about the clubs over there, they don't do lights full stop. They do strobe lights and that's it. Everything's pitch black. And we went into this one club and uh, in the Luxor hotel. My friend sort of turns me. And he, he went, "You can't see a thing in there, can you?" I went, "No." Nah. Yeah. And he was like, "Don't worry, we'll, we'll chill out by the bar. We're only here for an hour or so. We'll just neck a few drinks, have a good time." Then when it came to leaving, he was like, "Oh, all right." I was like, "I don't know. How I'm going to do this. Mark. I can't see a thing." He said, like, "Hey, be all right. You know, you, you cope. You'll be fine." He was walking and he, he sort of went. He looked back and he said, he just looked and he he's had a look clueless. So he just he went, "Right, just just follow my lead. Pretend you're smashed." He grabbed my arm put it over his shoulder and sort of holding me up like I couldn't walk. And he was sort of nodding to people, going, oh, you know, he's had too much, he's had too much. Mm-hmm. And uh, sort of just walked me out. We just had a laugh about it. and just It was, you know, it was a funny thing. And something we actually ended up using two or three times after that. We sort of called it the drunk man routine. He, You know, things like that. My friend, uh, that's my friend Chris, He just done it on the spot. People probably think, God, oh, that's a bit, you know, a bit of a strange situation for him to be in. But he did not better than I did. He just, you know, he just did it. So you know, help me live as, you know, normal life as possible.
2: Yeah. It sounds like you uh, are blessed with some incredible friends. Yeah, uh, what definitely. about you,
0: Nathan? I think I've only ever been out once, believe it or not. And uh that was actually on a, a stag weekend in Blackpool. And uh, it was with my dad and his mates. So I don't know if I can class that as a lad's weekend, but I guess it was. And uh I mean, my dad is useless at thinking about my blindness. He, he forgets and he just walks off. So actually mine's the opposite. I didn't have a mate there to that I could rely on to um, you know, help me out in that situation. It was probably quite the opposite. But luckily, Hudson actually came out with me. Uh, for We didn't go out for long. We just went into a few clubs. And um, it actually worked out massively to my favour because, obviously, I'm out in a club and I've got an adorable guy dog. Yeah, an adorable... I know what's coming. Yeah, Labrador. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. And uh, let's just say the... Um, you know, the females took a bit more of a, like... Well, to my dog, anyway, uh, to, to any other lads. But, um, but yeah, he was... Luckily, I had hoodsings. I think if I, if I relied on my dad for that mm-hmm. weekend, I'd have uh, I'd still be in there, still be in Blackpool. Uh,
2: Alex, did you approach social situations slightly differently, would you say?
3: As I said before, I used to really worry about what people thought. So, give you an example, I used to... I'd worked in London, or in and around London, for quite a few years now. In my past job, I used to travel through a Victoria Station sort of every day to get to work. To travel back, yeah, I could... If I, you know, had the confidence or if I was just, you know, trying not to hide things all the time back then, could have just got my little handheld magnifier out, looked at my iPhone and got the tray time and got on the right train. Mm. But, I, you know, I didn't know anyone in the station, but I wouldn't stand there and do that. You know, I was just, I'd call it pride, but now I just think I was a bit of a, a bit vain, to be honest. So for about four years, four and a half years or so, I'd walk into Victoria Station and I'd know, it, I'd go into East Croydon as my destination and I'd know that, Every train from platform 15 to 19 calls it East Croydon, bar the express one to Gatwick. So I would just walk. As I got near to the platforms, I would have a look. I thought, right, who looks like they're in the most rush? What queue in terms of, you know, what train's going first? Whoever looked like they was in the most rush? I would uh, just jump on that train, and believe it or not, it worked every single time. Before you're joking. You joking? You no, like roulette. Yeah, I know, and it was a bit of a game. Um, and I never, uh, and I thank for you in all those years, I, I didn't get on the express train to Gatwick. So
2: you must have been waiting for that first announcement. Yeah,
3: yeah, I've, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Just uh, to confirm I, that you are right. I'd stand one. at the door for the first sort of minute before the train left, just in case. since as as the announcement came. Oh, I'll sit down now. Um, but no, like the point of the story is now, I travel up to you know through Charing Cross, get on the bus, go to Euston um you know as i traveled here today on the underground and it doesn't bother me at all i'll go anywhere because i've got that symbol i've got the guide dog and just before i had the guide dog i had the cane and it's almost like people know that situation then if they then choose to talk to me they know that and they've accepted that whereas before i had this fear that they hadn't quite realized yet and you know how they were going to treat me you know yeah. in reality 99.9 percent of the population aren't going to treat me any differently or they're not going to actually care but i was just you know my whole life i'd Tried to avoid the subject, to avoid you know, even if I heard the word blind, you know, someone in a conversation, nothing to do with me. I, you know, my heart would beat, you know, skip a beat because mm. I'd be like, oh, I've got to talk about this, you know, I'd be so nervous. So in a weird way, losing the sight, obviously, I'd rather have the sight, loss, you know, have the sight still that I had, mm. whether it wasn't that great, but you know, better than what I've got now. But in a weird way, it's kind of set me free in some ways, in that sense.
0: Mm. I, I can absolutely relate to it because um, I often say now it's been what five years since I lost my sight completely and I always say when I lost my sight I also lost my fear um talk about my blindness accept my blindness and I, I just lost my fear to go out and do things Because I sort of thought what have I got what have I got left to lose you know my sight's gone I feel I just felt like I could go out yeah. and tackle anything and it's same in a social way sort of um I think people that knew me before I mean okay I was outgoing but in a, in a new situation I was very shy and very scared because I just I didn't know because I couldn't see enough. I I had such little sight. I didn't know I'd be speaking to the right person. I just worried about small insignificant things. Now, I mean, obviously it's more likely I'll go and speak to the wrong person, but I sort of don't care because I just ask and and speak. And I've I've learned to use communication in the way that it probably should be used and for a benefit to to help me. So, um, yeah, I I always say I've definitely lost that fear when I lost my sight.
2: No, it sounds like the common denominator is is when you are ready uh, as, as someone who is blind or, or visually impaired to to embrace the help that is available to you, which you yeah. uh, obviously did at a point, Nathan, because you um, looked at the guide dogs uh, campaign, my guide, and and obviously out of that came a, a wonderful friendship.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was um, a very strange way it all came about because it all just started by me just wanting to be able to go out and run. I'd always been a you know. A fit lad when I was going through school, you know, I used to run cross country and uh, athletics. I even had a, a spell where I went for a trials for the Paralympics, and uh, like I said, sport was just a massive part of my life. And uh, you know, when I when I lost my sight and I couldn't see, just it wasn't as easy as just picking up your your running shoes and going for a run around the park. Uh, I think I tried it once and it didn't go very well. So um you know, I needed to find some support, and I found out about the My Guide service. Um, you know, where they match you up with somebody and uh, I just asked a question I said would you be able to find somebody to, to run with me and at that point in time it never had been done they, they'd never had partnered you know a blind person or vision impaired person with a how long ago was that then uh, getting on
1: three four years ago four, four, four and a bit we, mm-hmm. we, we, we got paired up in the November
0: I'm glad you knew because I had no idea <laughs> I remember because it, it was just before
1: Christmas and when I came around to your house the first time I thought they had Hudson done up in Christmas decorations because he had a bell round his neck.
2: <laughs> You'd obviously put yourself on the programme um, voluntarily. Um, how did that come about for you? I was uh, I was running Chester half marathon and I saw
1: what turned out to be guide running with with a visually impaired chap. And I thought interesting. I, I stumbled across uh, uh, the British Blind Sport website and, and found that they did a, a, a course, a one day course with England Athletics uh, for, for guide running. I think it was literally a couple of weeks later. I got a, I got a phone call from uh, England Athletics. I think it was or British Blind Sport. One or the other. Uh, guide dogs had been in touch with them uh, as a chap in Mansfield. Turns out to be the boy. It literally went went from there. We met at Nathan's house. Uh, say so it was it was definitely November. I remember it was November.
2: Uh, so how does how does that work um, when you're running along? What what does anybody hold on to?
1: It all depends on on the individuals uh, and and certainly uh, the amount of sight they've got. Uh, obviously, with Nathan having no sight whatsoever, we, we use a little tether, uh, which is literally, we use a shoelace tied into a, into
2: a figure of eight and, and we just hold on to it and, and, and run along. Alex, have you ever used a, a human guide for, for anything like football, running?
3: I was really fortunate. I got on really well with my mobility instructor straight away, my rear officer, and uh, we made good friends and he's very into his cycling, so we um, he, he managed to persuade me after a while to get on a tandem bike with him. And uh, long story short, she uh, on the front or back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'd like we've joked about me going on the front, but yeah, I think it's a bit a bit too risky. I like to take risks, like Nathan said. I'm not so scared anymore, but that's just a silly move. I think mm-hmm. we ended up doing the London Prudential ride or mm-hmm. Prudential ride London. So we, not the hundred miler. Uh, we'll do that maybe another year. But we did 46 miles tandem around around London for charity for guide dogs actually. And last year was the first time I actually experienced the uh, the guide running that Nathan and Peter talking about. So my brother-in-law and I went for a a, uh, few runs and then my family members were doing the uh, Spartan race, um, 15k Spartan race in Surrey. And I thought I was told originally by my uncle that it was a 5k. I thought, yeah, that's all right. (laughs) I'll do a bit of that. Oh, no. (laughs) So we did a few runs and I actually, our first practice run, I managed to run a 5k. I was like, oh, that's all right. I can run 5k. I'm still quite fit from the cycling sort of six months before. So I did that. And then I was training, my aunt said one day, by the way, you keep saying five, you do realise it's 15. But yeah, anyway, along the like That's
2: about 10 miles,
3: isn't it? Yeah, it's about 10 or 12 miles. A bit more, right? yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's... Half marathon. It's an obstacle course, a Spartan race, 15-kilometer obstacle course. But what I didn't know was 80% or more of the course is actually through a very narrow uh, trail pathway through the woods. It was impossible to do like normal guide running because I couldn't run next to my brother-in-law. Mm. I had to literally be directly behind him So poor bloke had his arms sort of twisted up behind him like he's being arrested (laughs) the whole time and I had my arm out in front of me so would you say that you're both really trusting
0: it's a bit like when I met my partner she's you know she's fully sighted and I I wanted to come across as this real independent person I wanted to to see that you know we met online so she didn't know anything about my background. I mean, probably the reason she only really wanted to date me is because she saw my dog anyway. But <laughs> she's a big dog person, so that was probably persuaded her a little bit. But when I wanted to meet, I wanted to show her that I can do all these things. I can travel independently. She was from a different city, so it meant a bit of train travel and things. And I was doing all these things great. You know, uh, first first date went fantastically well. Second date on the train. You know, it came to the end of the date. It went well. Gave her a hug goodbye on the platform. Shoulders up, uh, chest out, walking towards the train, thinking, Yeah, that was a good date. She's watching me, watching me go, thinking, Yeah, he's all right, he's not too bad. First thing I do, step up onto the train, fall over the step. My backpack goes over the back of my head. I fall into another woman's lap, which also wasn't great. I was just thinking, I've never had an incident on the train in this one time I'm on a date and she's here on the platform and she sees me fall over on this, on this train. I was like, it was so embarrassing. But I just got up, dusted myself down. I was like, see you later, yeah, yeah. Kind <laughs> well, stuck to... around. Still, still together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. That
2: might have just been the making of, of the relationship. We're going to take a break for a second and then when we come back, we're going to talk about the strangest, sort of rudest things that have been asked regarding or relating to your
0: site, okay? One of the questions that I always seem to get my partner's sighted, and, and obviously I've got nothing. Uh, a lot of people always ask, "Do I know what she looks like?" And um, and then the counter question from that as well is, "Did I feel her face to find out what she looks like?" Which, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know a single blind person myself that that would actually feel somebody's face to know what they look like. So it's just one of those stereotypes. Uh, but that's something that I seem to get all the time, and she also, she also gets that question all the time as well. So, so, yeah, funny
2: one. Welcome back to I See What You're Saying. So, things not to say to a blind person. So, let me run these by you, and you can rate them for awfulness. <laughs> um, so, so firstly, uh, really, you can work a computer?
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, more phone than computer, but... Okay.
0: <laughs> I, I think the best bit is, is actually when you show them how you do it. Yeah. Uh, so, my your phone, for example, um, it's got the, the speech back... And I've got it said 100%, 100%, so to them it just sounds like blah blah, 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 like that. And nobody knows what it's saying, whereas obviously I do, because I've trained myself to to hear that.
2: And I noticed this next one for having a, I've got a brother with cerebral palsy, basically. But there's, there's when people will ask the person next to you questions and actually oh, not aim gosh. them at you. Like you can't hear them and you can't respond to it. How does that make you feel?
3: <laughs> yeah, that winds me up. That's the one that gets me the most, to be honest. Biggest hate. It's my missus hates it just gives them the look and you probably know the look Jeff because you're a married man <laughs> mm. but she gives Shit. them the look or she'll just say politely ask Alex if she's in a good yeah. mood
2: <laughs> why don't you ask him yeah. exactly yeah. Uh, there's another one that says uh, that, that people actually ask how do you live
0: I've been in the car with a taxi driver once and he was saying that and uh, I was sort of trying to sort of explain how I do live, sort of thing with it, and uh, it got it got a bit weird. It got to a stage where it was parked outside my house, and he was like, still asking these questions, and I was there for ten minutes outside my house, and then he went. I don't want this moment to end. I was like, I'm getting out right now because this is the weirdest experience of my life. That sounds like a date. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm a bit worried he thought it was. Pete's Pete's getting jealous. I am a little, (laughs) yeah. yeah. I'm I'm
1: not sharing my bromance with anybody.
2: Uh. Uh, Al, has anyone ever played a game with you where they go, guess who it is?
3: Weirdly, no, until about two weeks ago I was at my friend's wedding and it really threw me a little bit and I was sort of like, um... I was more just sort of taken back like why would they do that like it just you have to admit it did slightly annoy me but I think they sort of did it and then thought oh why did I do that for I just said yeah of course I know it is and then but thankfully they didn't say who then yeah that... that's
2: like a knock knock joke you should have said I know it is because I can smell you <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: yeah I should I've got to figure some good comes back for those situations actually um, and how about this one? Oh, you don't look blind oh yep yeah all the time all the time like yeah. What does a blind person look like? Exactly. Then? That's what I sort of say.
0: No. I, I, I don't know if they want us to walk around with like our hands out in front of us, like mm-hmm. we're trying to swim in air or I don't know, but um, we, I think everybody gets that, don't they?
2: So uh, when encountering a person from high school that you haven't seen since you lost your sight, they might ask you a question like, are you blind? Or even better, dramatically
3: ask, oh my God, what happened to you? Oh. Do you ever
2: get that? Oh my God, what happened to you?
3: Yeah. What happened? I think I've heard what happened, what happened? at some point. Yeah, uh, I've had someone say to me, a complete stranger, say, All right, mate, yeah, so what's your story? And I've literally met the guy five seconds ago. Just thinking, why? why what? I don't even know you.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's a legitimate question behind it, but it's just poorly yeah. phrased. You find out a lot of the time it's just poor phrasing, poor use of language.
0: More than it's, it's the general public, more than anything. And I think it's yeah. uh, it's weird because you never would normally ask somebody personal questions about You never want to know somebody's life story, but. Um, when you come across somebody blind or probably with any disability it's a question that's asked all the time
2: people are not good at dealing with awkwardness and, and in, in that awkward moment more often than not they the worst fear is i'm gonna say something stupid and before they've actually finished that thought it's come out it, it, it's popped out or something like this which you've got stevie wonder to thank for which is why don't you wear sunglasses <laughs> <right>? <laughs> on, on, you
0: know? on, on the other hand to that though i mean i'd I'd still probably rather people ask some questions and feel too awkward to not
3: ask them. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that, actually. Yeah,
0: And
2: it is one that's not on the list, but one that I'll ask nonetheless. Uh, I, I can imagine how it works. Um, but do you know what a goal is?
0: <sighs> I wish I could say yes, but um, I think uh, sometimes my... Uh, I don't know. If, I, I, I want to blame my orientation skills, and I'll say it was a good shot, but unfortunately, the net, I thought it was 20 yards to the right. But uh, no, it's not the case. I wish I could say I was, but, um, you know... I'm average footballer i'd say <laughs> right i'm a football man explain
2: to me how it works how on earth do you know where the ball is
0: i tell you what, it's really really different to the sighted game so i've gone from playing even though i've been visually impaired i've gone from playing mainstream football um you know on fully sized pitch with fully sighted people um you know a real disadvantage because i could probably only see a third of the pitch and if the weather conditions were wrong say if it was a cloudy overcast day, all the colours just blended together for me. So Basically every day up north innit? Well, pretty yeah. much yeah, that's exactly what it was like. So um, It was lovely up north when we left this morning, it's grim, little, it's grim was it was grim down Jeff. here. Uh, <laughs> uh, as my sight started to deteriorate more, I had one season in the partially sighted league um, and then it got to a stage where I was you know, getting too blind to even play in that league so um, when it came to blind football I, I, mean, I didn't even know it existed for a long time and uh, when I heard about it and got the opportunity to go and play it I was so excited because I just wanted that feeling of a football at my foot again it had gone so many years of uh, not being able to kick a ball it was um, something that I missed so much you're relying on your listening so much because the ball's got metal ball bearings in it so it it sort of rattles Um, does it hurt when you head it then? Well, you don't intend to edit. Well, not intentionally. Sometimes you don't have a choice. <laughs> well, uh, and that's what exactly what happened to me on training at the weekend—a uh. uh, ball in the face. So, uh, and to be fair, it, it does hurt sometimes because sometimes if it depends—if if you catch it right, the ball bearings are sort of on the side of where the where the metal plate is, and if that hits you, sort of on that side of the Sweet ball. Sweet spot. Yeah, it's mm. uh, it's it's a tough one to take to be fair. But um, Do you stand
2: there and like and have a an inquest like who kicked that? Who
0: was that <laughs> I think I know most of the time who it is, so really? uh, it sort of gives it away, Pete. Who are you listening to? We've got to listen for the ball, first right. and foremost, but you've got to listen to your teammates and you've got to listen to the opposition because actually in a game scenario you can pick up a lot just by listening to them. So you can take in what they're saying and use that to your advantage but when you try to do that all that at once and then when it's a very I don't know if you've ever seen blind football but it's a very fast paced game and it's very very physical I mean hmm. my first uh, league match I left the pitch with uh, six uh, having to go to the A&E to get six stitches in my head so um it's a yeah.
3: combat sport yeah
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Pete what's your what's your take on on blind football and what is your role when you're playing it it impresses me uh, immensely I mean the first
1: time I I, I saw Nathan play Uh, it was. I mean, I've not got kids, but I I likened it to having a kid uh, and watching them go without stabilizers for the first time because I've been running with him on a tether, and then there he is running around on a football pitch on his own. Uh, I, I was like. Yeah, you know, yeah, I was, I was taken aback. I was, I was, I was suitably impressed. Oh, thanks, Dad. Uh, <laughs> hate you so much. <laughs> Why are we doing this friendship thing? I will never know. <laughs> you know. We're breaking up when we get home. The blind football coaching is by far the hardest because the communication is 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 key. It can't be a case. Obviously, you know, you've played football yourself. It can't be a case. You know, you say yeah over there or it's over there. You, you've got to specify exactly yeah. what you want, what you want them to do. And how you on, on the halfway line on yep. the sideline, and a, an attacking guide who stands behind the goal you're attacking, uh, and and you, you each guide has a, has a third of the pitch, uh, where where they're, they're only allowed to communicate with with the players in that in that third when when when, when play is active, uh, it doesn't always work that way. Uh, you know, it's uh, some some of the uh, well one or two of the England goalkeepers are quite quite well known for uh, for, for for coaching down the whole of the pitch and.
2: Another question that I must ask Nathan, naturally intrigued, but your average football fan will watch the game by following the ball. So not necessarily watching at formation or anything like that. So if if you're not necessarily watching formation or, or watching where the ball, where you're listening out to where that ball is, what do you take on board that would be completely surprising to, to a sighted person? Are you hearing the flow of the game, the rhythm of it? What what are you? See and hear.
0: It, it it's in a fun in a funny way because I, I go to a lot of matches and you know I go for the atmosphere and things like that and obviously like you said I can't see what's actually happening on the pitch in front of me but I still sort of know where the where the, the game is because there's people around me shouting and you can tell which direction they're looking mm. so because i was always conscious i didn't want to be sat there looking in the wrong direction so everyone's looking right and i'm looking left because <laughs> i thought my luck there'll be a photographer somewhere taking a photo <laughs> of the crowd <laughs> and it's just me sitting there looking in a completely wrong direction i was actually quite self-conscious about it for a, quite a long time <laughs> yeah. i love home games because i know where i am in relation to the pitch you know um i i I've got a visual memory of the stadium, which is something that I'm very uh. happy to have. So I, I use that to my advantage. Um, but I do go to a lot of away games and there's sometimes it, it's quite disorientating. You know, sometimes, you know, a lot of away games, you're behind the goal. But for example, um, you know, Notts County, which we, we played recently, which one I want to forget very quickly. Um, <laughs> but we were sort of on the side sort of thing. So that, to me, can be quite disorientating. But I just have to try and, again, just adapt to it however I can by picking up on the things around me and, and listening to people and listening to the, the pitch in front of me.
2: Hmm. Some people that, that have maybe not sort of uh, met someone visually impaired or not really thought enough into it um, might say, what's the point of you being there?
0: I, I did get that a lot and um, yeah, you know, I, I used audio descriptive commentary which the club have got which is a fantastic facility um, and uh, I'm actually I'm a actually part of a podcast myself at Mansfield Matters Podcast and uh, which is just talking about football and I think at first it was very, I felt, like I didn't belong there, being a blind person, talking about football. Like, how can I sit there and criticise a ref when I can't technically see the foul or whatever was given? But um, there's a lot of different ways out there you can access football through uh, reports and uh, commentary, for example, and things. So you, it's hard. You have to try and build a, an opinion yourself by listening to other people's opinion, but you try and do it as balanced as you can. But I did get that quite a lot, and I still do to this to day. Pete,
2: have you ever seen Nathan play any uh, cruel pranks?
0: Only on me. Uh, (laughs) uh,
2: I don't.
1: No. I mean, he 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 cracks. He he cracks his blind jokes, don't
0: you? Yeah. uh, Give us your best, Tim. I cannot think of one off the top of my head. Uh, We'll give. We'll give you uh, too much pressure. (laughs) (laughs) We'll
2: give you a moment. I don't want to set myself up to be
0: (laughs) shot down either. It'd be terrible. No, no,
1: it's just great that he's got. He's just got such a sense of humour, such a positive, positive character. Uh yeah, he has his you know, you know think about the football, he has his he has his dodgy sessions, uh, where where things don't go right and you know, regulation football that happens to players. Uh, he, he shrugs it off and he gets on with it, uh, and that's that's just you know a testament to the
2: to the, to the great person he uh, he is. Didn't stop him getting five caps for England, eh?
0: They hmm. were all from the bench, but I'll take them however they come. Ah, to be
2: why do you even mention the bench? More, more, more to come. There's more to come. Yeah. So don't worry There's about the splinters come. you got from the bench. <laughs> <laughs> I still got them. Uh, There's a friend
0: of mine, and uh, I've often said if I was in the same situation, I'd, I'd, I'd exactly do the same thing, but. Uh, you know when someone says oh can you keep an eye on this for example so um, he, his uh, daughter-in-law went to went to the toilet when they're out for a drink and she said will you keep an eye on my drink so he he had an artificial eye and literally took it out and put it in a drink and uh, i think i probably wouldn't hesitate doing the same thing myself That's, to be honest
3: yeah i'm not sure i'd be that brave but, um <laughs> people who listen to this, this is really cruel but there's an app you can get for your iphone or whatever phone, and. Uh, you can take a picture of something and it uses artificial intelligence to tell you what it can see. And it's quite detailed. So, if, you know, if you took a picture of me, it would say, you know, a uh, man with brown hair wearing white shirt, for example. David Beckham lookalike. Oh, well, death, mate. we for good friends after this. Look 21, <laughs> look like David Beckham. Who's paying you? Um, but, so this app came out and I, I remember the first social sick sense of humour I have but the first thing I thought when I got this app was I can't wait to do this so I was sitting on the balcony with my missus later on and we said dinner and I sort of waited so I knew she wasn't looking and I just slyly had the headphones in so she couldn't hear the click of the camera I slyly took a picture of her with the app and it explained her down to a T like I think the app knew what I was doing because it's never described anything in such detail right. and he sort of said a woman, dark hair wearing a uh, I think it was like a black um, black top with, with necklace so I sort of put put the phone away but the headphones away so she couldn't have clocked what I'd done I just turned to her and I went ah, oh, you know and obviously she she misses the fact that I can't see because I met her when I was sighted so I had some sight so and I turned to her and I said oh do you I really like you in that black top wearing a necklace <laughs> and she went dead silent and I just I knew the look on her face of just shit what <laughs> and I could just tell she was welling up I was like oh I'm really sorry." To... To... <laughs> and she I got I got a slap around the arm for it she thought it was hilarious later and everyone thinks it's hilarious but it's probably a bit cruel but yeah, no no that's the I'd one. be
2: doing that pretty much <laughs> yeah, to everybody yeah. that I've come across yeah. uh, lads yeah. listen it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for, for talking to us today so Alex Pete Nathan um, Abby and River as well thank you so much for coming in and, and that's uh, that's all we got time for and I see what you're saying uh, don't forget to subscribe the series and guys thanks ever so much cheers jeff thanks Thanks, jeff much appreciated
3: you've been listening to i see what you're saying by guide dogs